My family didn't always have this name. In fact, my great-grandfather, when he came here from Ellis Island, changed it. His name, of course, was Harold Schmuck. <laughs> this is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. Great day yesterday on Capitol Hill, a somber day when the Congressional Gold Medal was presented to the many officers who were harmed and in some cases wound up deceased because of the January 6th attack on our Capitol. On Tuesday, they were awarded the Congress's highest honor two years after the attack. And the way they're doing this with this award is they, with these medals, is they're going to place them at four locations, the Capitol Police Headquarters, the Metropolitan Police Department, the Capitol, and the Smithsonian Institution. And this is part of an 18-month race that the Democratic Party has been, the Democratic majority in the House has been underway to wrap up the investigation of the insurrection. Uh, it was Democrats and two Republicans on that panel. And this will be, this was Nancy Pelosi's last ceremonial act as she prepares to step down from leadership. And there has been some rhetoric around the attacks, many Republicans standing up and saying they want to stand up for those who were arrested, those who have been charged. But this was a ceremony that honored the dozens of officers who fought off the rioters, and many of them, as I said, sustained serious injury. Police were beaten with American flags, with their own guns, dragged downstairs, sprayed with chemicals. They were trampled and crushed by the crowd. And officers suffered physical wounds, including brain injuries, and some of them are still dealing with those effects, and many struggled afterwards with the trauma that they had been confronted with. So it was a beautiful ceremony, a somber ceremony. It's worth reminding everyone that the Congressional Gold Medal is the highest honor Congress can bestow. It needs to be signed by the president. It's been given out by the legislative branch ever since 1776, in fact. You know, George Washington got it. Winston Churchill was given it. You know, people like Bob Hope and Robert Frost got it. But in this case, I guess it was passed in June of 2021, and broad bipartisan support, make no mistake about it, but there were 21 House Republicans that voted against presenting this honor. The Republicans can no longer claim to be the party of law enforcement between their lack of support for those that protected the very chambers of Congress, those police officers that day, the fact they still stand up for the people that attack those police officers, and also, obviously, their continuing attacks on the FBI. I've talked about this. I think having healthy skepticism of law enforcement is something that actually unifies the two parties. But the way that the Republicans have basically stood on the side of the insurrectionists in so many cases is disheartening. But that should not diminish the ceremony that took place yesterday. Now, people who visit the Smithsonian, visit the Capitol, will be able to see that congressional gold medal. But in other ways... This was just a regular, good old-fashioned week in American politics. We had a former president and announced candidate for president in 2024, announced his position that the Constitution should be thrown out so that he can be named president again. And then he clarified to say that, yes, he meant exactly that. And that's just, just not to—I just want to summarize the last couple of weeks. So the last two weeks, Trump has— 
pledged solidarity with the January 6th rioters. He dined with two Holocaust-denying fans of Hitler and called for the terminating of the Constitution. Yet I still consider him the frontrunner to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. But arguably that wasn't even the craziest part of all this. The crazy part that while there was a general what the frick from all Democrats and most of the civilized world, some Republicans too. I got to give them credit. Some Republicans, too, said they were in favor of the Constitution and it shouldn't be torn up because Donald Trump decides to do so. And he said exactly that. I mean, I don't have a quote in front of me, something along the lines of all of the articles, including of the Constitution, should be disregarded. But the thing is that you would not hear. I don't think there was a single Republican that I heard who say, despite all of this, they would not support Trump for president. They just won't go that far. And look, I am all in favor of hypocrisy in this case. I am in favor of the Republicans that enabled this guy turning on him. That's fine. That's, you know, some way that's actual politics. Maybe that's learning. But you can't do it halfway. You can't say I'm turning on him and I no longer believe he's good for our party or for our country, but I still want his supporters to like me and I still want him to like me and I still will vote for him. You got to either decide you're going to be full hypocrite or don't bother to do it at all. And I have said that I think Donald Trump will be the nominee of his party because he has now tapped into a part of the Republican coalition that anti-Semites, nationalists, Holocaust deniers, racists, they're part of that coalition. And I have not seen any sign that any of his opponents are prepared to turn their back on that element of the coalition because if they were— Now's the moment. You want to separate yourself from the field, make yourself, you know, stake out the position. None of them are doing it. You saw the silence from all of his potential 2024 Republican opponents. They were quiet as church mice. So they're afraid. They all think that maybe they think that Donald Trump will fall under his own weight. And they don't want to antagonize him or his followers. But that's a timid way to get elected. And so let's see of the chain of hypocrites saying, I'm sorry I enabled Donald Trump. He's a threat to our country. Let's see if any of them decide to take the next step and say that we're not going to support him. Also this week, more Twitter and Hunter. Please, God, stop tempting me to talk about this subject. Stop it. But the big news this week, (laughs) as I continue, the big news this week is that we got some transparency about how this one social media company dealt with a controversy. And I say some transparency because the way this information came out is the new owner of Twitter. And I'm only describing this to all of you because I know how few people are actually on Twitter. The echo chamber is so loud at this because there's politicians and there's reporters who like Twitter and there's wackadoo hate mongers that like Twitter. And I actually do get a lot of good hockey content there. But putting that aside, the way we got this news is that Musk gave some of the documents that he had revealed that he had in his files, now that he owns Twitter, emails mostly, gave them to one reporter, and that's a reporter as a guy named Matt Taibbi. You may want to go look him up. He has some sordid history. But right now, this guy Matt Taibbi is not taking any questions about, well, what agreement did he make in order to get these documents? He did a summary of the documents on Twitter. He has his own Substack, his own online place that he can write along for. He didn't put it there. So he obviously made some agreement with Musk. He's not answering any question about what the agreement was. He also is not answering any questions about what was left out, et cetera, et cetera. But all that being said, I'm going to summarize it for you so you don't have to read 
whatever it was, 32 tweets that he did. One, that in the course of all this Hunter Biden stuff, remember this is October of 2020, right before the election, it was chaos. You see these emails going back and forth with people whose names will, you know, it doesn't really matter who they are, but they are who their titles are. They're people who are in content moderation. There's some some brass about, you know, making decisions. A couple of lawyers got involved in it. But it's really ad hoc. It's not like, okay, here's a process they clearly had for what happens if there is an October drop of material from a hard drive that was only given to one place by Rudy Giuliani and not shared with anyone else. How do you handle it? And again, I have said this, you can listen to last week's episode. I've said this again and again. Remember the context. This was in October of 2021. In October of 2016, the Russians hacked the DNC, dumped emails, paid a bunch of money to Facebook to run fake ads. There was interference in our election in 2016. So everyone was on high alert for it in 2020. But there were no people at the super top of the organization who were saying, let's not let this story about Hunter Biden out there in Lether. It's like people trying to figure out legitimately what they should do about it. And the interesting part about it, the global interesting thing, is they didn't see this as a... They saw this as a hack, is the way they were looking at it. They were not really trying to opine on, okay, is this hurt one candidate or the other? They saw this as a hack because, remember, it's someone's private emails were being released by the New York Post at the time, even though no one knew for sure that they were real because, to repeat it again, the New York Post had it, and you know who else had it? Nobody. They wouldn't share it with any other news organization. So a lot of news organizations, all they had to do is say, all right, here's what the Post is saying. We don't know if they're true or not. Okay. So there's lots of back and forth about what to do, none of it with the CEO. And you've got people in both parties weighing in, not only on this particular case, but generally. Now, admittedly, there are like a lot of political heavyweights who are weighing in on like stuff that they think they should run and not run all in the context of this being a campaign season. Admittedly, there were more Democrats, or at least that's what this guy, Taibbi, found. More Democrats were weighing, but there were Republicans also. Long story short, there were back doors through these companies. Not everyone has to just go to the help box and put in an email. There were politicians that had access to the brass at Twitter, both Democrat and Republican. One thing that they don't find in any of these things is the FBI ordering a cover-up or anything like that. It does have a discussion in some of this back and forth that the FBI has warned us to be on the lookout for Russian disinformation, so we should be careful. So what do we know? Basically the same thing we knew before. It was a mistake the way it was all handled. I have said it a hundred times. I didn't think that they should try to limit the distribution on Twitter of the Post. They should have let it go out there and let people judge for themselves. There's no sign this was a massive cover-up. It just seems like a lot of insiders there, more probably left than right, a lot of insiders are trying to figure out what to do with this thing. People were scared because it was October, and the way this was handled was suspect. It was like not... The whole thing had so many questions wrapped around it, not only in Twitter, but outside Twitter. The Hunter Biden element of this, you can't make me talk about that anymore. I won't do it. Okay, I'll do it a little bit. As outrageous as Hunter Biden's behavior was, and again, go back and listen to my podcast version of The Middle, which is the radio show I do every Saturday from 2 to 3. I think it was one of the first, maybe the fourth episode. Go back. It's like the Hunter Biden explained episode. And I think that there's been a lot. There's no doubt in my mind Hunter Biden was trading on his family name. But it was such outrageous behavior. He got $2 billion from the Saudis invested in his fund. He got 12 trademarks right after his father took office. Um, he was doing real estate deals in countries like North Korea. I mean, uh, taking loans from countries like North Korea. It was outright. Oh, wait a minute. 
Oh, no, no, that wasn't Hunter Biden. That was Trump's kids. That's right. That was Trump's kids. It was Jared Kushner got $2 billion from the Saudis in his fund. It was Ivanka Trump that got 12 Chinese trademarks right after her father took office when no American company was able to do that. And it was Donald Trump himself who apparently had an outstanding loan to a North Korea concern that he had not disclosed. What's my point? My point is it is fine to be outraged about, you know, families trading on their names to get ahead. It's fair. But let's be consistent about it. Let's try to at least have a little bit of context around this. And another thing that did not come out in any of the Twitter files that were released is any more evidence that Joe Biden was involved in any of this. You know, the big guy. I'll cut it out. The big guy. That was such that was so sketchy that Fox and The Wall Street Journal, two Murdoch publications that were supporting Donald Trump, both didn't think that there was anything there worth moving ahead on. And they said so publicly. So trading on a family name is worthy of being upset about, but as keeping with the name of this show, let's try to at least call it down the middle a little bit. Now the number of the week during the radio show, we do several numbers, the podcast. We just try to pick one particular number, and um, so this week the number is 88. As of today, that is the number of federal judges that have been pushed through by the tandem of Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer. One justice of the Supreme Court, Katanji Brown Jackson. One of the things that when everyone, when Republican friends say, we don't care how bad Donald Trump was, we got all those judges, we reshaped the judiciary. Now the Democrats are on pace to do even more than Mitch McConnell was able to do under the first two years, under the first, to do more under Biden's first term, even than Trump was able to do. There's still 75 vacancies on the district courts, there are nine appellate judges that are vacant. And here in the lame duck, which is the period after the election till January 1st, 25 judges have already passed the Judiciary Committee. That means they're ready to go. They're ready to go to the floor. They don't need 60 votes. They do have to pass before the end of the year. Otherwise, in the new Congress, they have to go back and be passed again. Everything starts completely fresh. Every Congress is completely fresh. So they do have to pass before the end of the year. And it's called the lame duck because theoretically— the new Congress has been chosen, and you're basically just waiting to leave, but it's not looking so lame. Among the things that the parties think they're going to do and that the Democrats are leaning towards doing is to increase the debt limit. And so when the new Congress comes in, they can't hold it over America's head. You remember, this is all the backdrop of all of this is that if Kevin McCarthy is successful in getting elected, and right now he doesn't have the votes, the Freedom Caucus crazies who have said they're not going to support McCarthy, they're not going to support debt limit increases, and they're going to continue just to try to tear the place down, they're going to have some influence. And so even many Republicans, if not most Republicans, are like, let's do the debt increase now so we won't be held hostage by these guys later on. It's not a consensus opinion among Republicans, but they're enough to to go ahead and do it. There is some talk about finally rescheduling marijuana. You know, marijuana is a class one drug, meaning there's no legitimate use for it, no medicinal use for it, no recreational use for it. It's in the same category as heroin. And that's one of the reasons why you can't even transport it across state lines. You can't even do research on it. There is some thought given that now I think 40 states have some level of legalized cannabis in their states, including in my home state of New York. There was some talk about just changing that scheduling in the lame duck. And again, if you're a libertarian Republican, 
if you're a states' rights Republican, a Tenth Amendment Republican, or if you're a Democrat who thinks that there are criminal justice implications here, there's a broad bipartisan support. Now, I have real concerns about the way it's being implemented, but all that being said, there's no doubt in my mind that it should not be a Schedule I narcotic. And so there's some talk in the lame duck making that change. And there's even some talk about an immigration deal. Again, something I've talked about before, that the left and the right should be able to get it done, and the broad outlines of the deal that's being kicked around are basically take these dreamers, a couple of million of them dreamers, these are people that were brought here at a very young age, that have followed all the rules, that have, for all intents and purposes, been Americans. They've grown up here, they've gone to school here, they've got degrees here, they're looking for work here, they're ready to contribute and are in this kind of nowhere land, and it's this idea that, oh, they're going to send them back to their country. There's no back for these dreamers. They grew up here to give them status or a pathway to status and more funds for the border to make it harder for those who are undocumented to come here. And the one that I think most people should agree upon is more resources for quick asylum hearings. Right now, most of the people pouring into the country are coming in seeking grants of asylum, which is under the law perfectly legal to do, but there's a process whether you actually get asylum, and that process takes too long. So when you hear stories about people being flown to airports, yeah, they're being flown to airports because they have to stay somewhere in this country while they're waiting for their asylum application to be rendered. And what I have said is the left and right should both say, let's increase the speed of that process so it is so they get them in front of an administrative officer quickly, they get them representation quickly, You don't take years to do it. You take a couple of weeks to do it. So the deal would be status for DREAMers, more funds to firm up the border, something Republicans say that they're in favor of and Democrats are as well, more resources for quick asylum hearings. That's the broad outline. It's it's Kirsten Sinema and a guy named – a guy from North Carolina whose name has escaped me right now, Democrat and Republican. And so – That's also on the books to maybe do here in the lame duck. So just briefly, you know, so why do you do stuff in the lame duck at all? Well, for one, there's no election to worry about for some time that you're going to influence by doing something. A lot of time, Democrat or Republican will say, I don't want to do that because it might hurt us at election time. So nothing winds up happening. Well, this is the lame duck. There's no elections for two years. Second is kind of an adjunct of the first that it's a long time to the next election, a long time to make you know, to turn down the passions of people that hated it, a long time to explain it to your constituents. And then the other reason is that coming into a new Congress, no one wants to start everything all over again. Remember, you know, if you don't get stuff done between now and December 31st, as I said earlier, you've got to wait and and start everything again. Hearings again, markups again, introduce new set of bills, get new bills, you know, everything has to kind of start up again. And so this is a time to do it. And someone would say, well, aren't you taking advantage of the fact that some of these people have been thrown out. You know, some of these members of Congress aren't coming back. No, you get a full two-year term. All of this is actual time on the clock. There's no, like, you don't get a shorter term, you know, either the last month you don't work. You should work. Everyone else has to go to work. And so that's what is up with lame duck madness. It's actually some signs that stuff is going to actually happen, and it'll make some people... Happy. Uh, Look, ultimately, I believe that one of the big turning points for Democrats in the political calendar this year was that when the Congress started to look like they were getting some stuff done, when they were dealing with burn pits, when they were dealing with the inflation, when they were dealing with the chip shortage, those types of things, independent voters who just want Congress to do their bleeping job started to say, you know what, the Democrats are showing they can get it done. And so 
Action is better than inaction. And when we come back from the break, we're going to dip into the mailbag, some of the mail that we've gotten from listeners. So stick with us on the other side of the break. We'll hear from Dennis in Middle Village. So there's lots of ways to be in touch with me. As I've mentioned before on the radio, I do a radio program called The Middle. That's kind of the namesake for this podcast. Every Saturday from 2 to 3 and then... You know, Curtis Lee and I do a show on WABC Radio from 3 to 4 called Left versus Right. That you can listen to, and obviously then that's a live program. People call in. They get a chance to respond in real time. In a podcast, we like to dip into the mailbag, and there's a couple of different ways that people can get through to me. One is at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, on Twitter. Another is Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook, and we have an email address, wienerwabc at gmail.com. So there are a few different ways for people to get a hold of me. I would encourage you to reach out. You can always comment. There are some podcast platforms that allow you to comment on the program. That's another way that you can make your views known. And so today we're going to go to an email. Dennis in Middle Village asks, Admit it, you are rooting for Herschel Walker, so you have a senator saying goofy things for six years. I admit, conversations about werewolves versus zombies and the like were grist for the mill, but he is not going to be the winner of the goofiest senator contest for a couple of reasons. But I can tell you someone who is, take a listen to this guy. Goat's milk latte drinking, avocado toast eating. Life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. Can I take cocaine with my spouse? No, sir. No, sir. I did not call Senator Sanders an ignorant slut. I'm not talking about buying it, but let's suppose I I came in one day and the cocaine was there. Uh, People who are uh, are bilingual, they speak speak English and stupid. I don't know why we have to give money to countries that hate us. They should be able to hate us for free. Looks like we're giving Lindsay Lohan the keys to the minibar. President Biden is sort of like uh, Kevin Bacon at the end of uh, Animal House. The cantina bar scene out of Star Wars. They wanted it like Ben wants J-Lo. I'm like Bluto in Animal House. I'm just <laughs> fat, drunk, and, and, and stupid. Frankly, I can't because I can't get my head that far up my rear end. Just stick it up there, fact checker. They can kiss my ass. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce, okay? We cannot run the greatest economy by putting fairy dust and unicorn urine in our cars. Urinate to get off the pot. My car doesn't run off fairy dust. My car doesn't run off unicorn urine. The spending porn on pet projects, it's just shock a spending porn. There's an enormous amount of spending porn. Next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. Call a criminal. Call a meth head. It must suck to be that dumb. I don't, I don't mean disrespect, but the mayor needs to take her meds. Christmas ornaments, drywall, and Jerry Epstein. Name three things that don't hang themselves. Okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, was the senator from Louisiana, John Neely Kennedy. And we want to thank Recount for compiling all of that. Yeah, unicorn urine. Dude, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, the only problem is going to be he's up for re-election in two years. The only problem is going to be is like, which of those things do you, which of that, what, who knows? I mean, there is a certain culture in Louisiana. By the way, in answer to Dennis's question, that's going to be the goofiest senator for the next two years. He is not going to change. Once you go to unicorn urine, it's really hard 
to turn back. So that's uh, United States Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, was elected in 2016, took office in 2017. And who knows, you historians in the audience, you know Louisiana has a a well-earned reputation for colorful elected officials coming out of that state. But no, it won't be Herschel Walker. John Kennedy of Louisiana will be the goofiest member of the United States Senate for the foreseeable future. So thank you very much for joining me on The Middle Unplugged. Again, I want to encourage you to listen and download The Middle, which is the other podcast. It does come out in a different feed, so you have to download that separately. Anywhere you get podcasts or at the Red Apple Podcast Network, I do appreciate you joining in. If you like what you've heard here and you like the vibe, you can obviously subscribe. Share this with your friends, neighbors, and enemies. Continue to listen, and we'll see you back here next week. And this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.